God, we've come here this morning to do simply what that song said. God, to praise you, to worship you, and to exalt you. God, today, as we look at your word, God, I pray that you would challenge us. God, that you would show us the areas where we are prone to sin and prone to fall and prone to fail. And God, that you would show us a sufficient God who's with us in temptation and who paves the way of escape. God, be with us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, One of my favorite um, pastimes growing up was gathering with the whole family around the TV to watch the next segment of our favorite drama show. As you can, as you know, for those of you who like to watch TV, a lot of dramas leave with cliffhangers and move to the next episode. We've been working through the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, we have seen a drama unfold, a drama of a dysfunctional family, a drama of God at work despite people's failures, a drama that is unfolding to show us how people in the past struggle to follow God and how we today still struggle to follow God, but we can find hope and we can find wisdom and we can find truth from God's word. So today we're looking at episodes 39 found in Genesis 39. If you have a pew Bible, it is on page 33. And as we think about the book of Genesis, the last thing we looked at in chapter 38, we took a break from Joseph's story to be introduced to a failure of his older brother Judah. Throughout Genesis 38, we saw Judah and his sons fall into sin and fail to be faithful to God. Yet despite their unfaithfulness, there's a God who is still faithful and there's a God who's still at work and who's still moving his redemptive plan forward. In Genesis 39, we return to the Joseph story. So far in Joseph's story, he's had dreams that God would bless him and exalt him over his brothers. I don't know how many of you in this room are siblings and have siblings. The reality of it is with siblings, sometimes there's sibling rivalry back and forth. When, uh, especially when one sibling is perceived as the favorite over the other, which in this case, Joseph is clearly perceived by the rest of the brothers as the favorite. And then the favorite has this dream that God gives him that he will be greater than his brothers and that his brothers will one day be under him and bow to him. And so he goes and he shares this dream, which whatever animosity existed in that relationship, that has just been multiplied. And so this causes anger to rise up in his brothers and it results in their jealousy. So one day, as we looked at in Genesis 37, uh, Joseph comes to check on his brothers. He's almost sent like a spy from his father to see what they were doing wrong or what they might have been handling wrong, to go back and be the tattletale in a way. And so Joseph comes and they decide now is their shot. So they take him and they want to kill him and they throw him into a pit. But Judah, in a good decision, decides that instead of killing Joseph, that they're going to send him off into slavery because he's worth more alive to them from a money standpoint than he would be dead. And so when we begin today's passage in Genesis 39, we find Joseph in a moment where his life is not going how he pictured. He went from the son of the beloved father to a guy who finds himself in captivity and who finds himself being sold to an Egyptian. And so what we're going to see in today's passage is a story through the light of four different scenes. 
four different scenes of what God is doing in Joseph's life in this passage, which will lead us to some applications about temptation and what that means for us. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 39, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down from there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a very successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in, the sight, in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Scene number one, if you're taking notes, Joseph has been blessed by God. Joseph has been blessed by God. We notice that God is taking him from a person who has been sold into slavery to coming into the place of this good master who's giving him opportunities, who's giving him a better status, who's leading him and allowing him to do more and more things. What we see through this text in verse 2 and verse 3, we see the same phrase pop up, that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph, And that's why God was blessing him is because God was with him. God was working through this situation, no matter how dark and how lost and how awful that seemed, God was with him. And in verse 3, we see that his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord caused everything he did to succeed. God's blessing is so evident in Joseph's life that Potiphar's picking up on it. He's realizing that God is blessing Joseph and Joseph is a man worth following and Joseph is someone that can be put in a position of influence. And so verse 4, he becomes a leader in Potiphar's house. He's a manager. He's over everything. He's the go-to guy. He is Potiphar's person that he feels like he can rely on, that he feels like he can put trust in, and he feels like he can bless as well because God is blessing him. In verse 5, we see from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over everything that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of God was so strong on Joseph's life that God is also blessing Potiphar and his family. That God is blessing him and using him to make an impact even on a pagan family in a pagan world. One key to this portion of the text is found in verse 6. We see that he left everything in his charge, second part of the verse, because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Joseph is seen as a man who's above reproach. There's nothing in Joseph's life that Potiphar can point to and say there's a concern with him. His morals and his standards cannot be questioned. Potiphar freely puts him in in control and giving him this responsibility because he is a man who's above reproach. He's a man that can be trusted. He is a man that has character. And what we're going to see is that Joseph's character becomes challenged. And we'll see how Joseph responds as the text continues in chapter 6, second part of the verse. 
Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master's house is no concern, has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then would I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse 10, and she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment and said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house. Scene number two, Joseph is tempted with compromise. Joseph is tempted with compromise. Notice that it is in the time of great blessing of God when the temptation comes. Joseph finds himself at a place where things are not as good as they once were when he was the beloved son of his father, but things are going better. God is blessing. God is at work. And Joseph's in a moment where Joseph could easily put his guard down. And it's in that moment of blessing that this opportunity to compromise comes along. Joseph is selected by Potiphar's wife. It says that he's handsome. Potiphar's wife looks at him and sees that he has good looks, but also she wants to have a relationship with him because probably she, he's come on her radar. You think about like in your life, the people that you hang out with and the people like in your business that you spend a lot of time with, conversations in their name probably comes up around the dinner table. It's the reality that Potiphar's wife probably knew who Joseph was. He probably knew that Joseph was a man of character. She knew that Joseph was a person that could be trusted. She knew that Joseph was a person that mattered very much to Potiphar and was someone that he looked to with great respect. So she's on his radar. He's on her radar to begin with. And she might even see Joseph as potentially a challenge to seduce. He's a man with great character. He's someone who might be a challenge for her. And what we see in verse 7 is the initial temptation comes, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Notice this Potiphar's wife is very forward with her request of Joseph to go and to lie with her, to go and to be her lover. She wants him as her lover, and she's pretty blunt and pretty straightforward with that. So the first challenge happens, and notice how Joseph responds, verse 8, but he refused. He didn't sit there and think about it. He didn't sit here and weigh his options. He didn't sit here and think, well, maybe I could get away with this. Well, maybe this is a sin that would just be between us. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. No, he refuses. And notice how he refuses, the second part of verse 8. Behold, because of my master, because my master has no concern about anything in the house, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from you except you, because you were his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice that Joseph is holding marriage in a very high regard. 
Joseph's saying, Potiphar's blessed me. Potiphar's given me control. Potiphar's given me a position of leadership and responsibility and blessing. And there's only one thing he's held back. And that's you because you're his wife. Because there was a moment, there was a time where you made a commitment. And that commitment of marriage means something. And he realizes that this decision that Potiphar's wife is wanting him to do would cause a compromise in that relationship. Joseph holds a high view of marriage and a high view of Pharaoh and his wife's marriage. He also sees adultery clearly as a sin. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There's no question here. And then he also sees that any sin he would do is sin against God. Any sin that we do is ultimately sin against God. In Psalms 51, we see David in a moment just like this where he has failed to follow God. And in Psalms 51, is his prayer to God for restoration. And in this prayer, he uses a verse that reminds me of this text. Psalms 51, 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Joseph stands with character. Joseph stands with character clinging to truth. Truth that marriage has value. Truth that... Sin is adultery is sin, and God gets to define sin, not us. And the truth that every sin that we have is ultimately a sin against God. And so Potiphar's wife just continues on, verse 10, and she spoke to him day after day, but he would not listen to her or lie beside her to be with her. She's persistent. She keeps pushing. Maybe he didn't cave the first time. I'll keep asking. I'll keep nagging. I'll keep going on and on and on and on. And maybe there's a day and maybe there's a moment and maybe there's a time when he will cave. And then that potential moment comes, verse 11. One day when he went in the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there, she called him by his garment and said, lie with me. Potiphar's wife repeats the request at a time when they think, when she thinks they could get away with it. In a time when there's no one there, no one would see, it would just be them, and no one would ever know what happened. But Joseph knows the truth that things that are done in secret are not hidden from God. Despite the seemingly perfect opportunity to get away with sin, Joseph still stands by his standards. Joseph is not knocked down and then the second part of verse 12 um, she says lie with me verse 12 and then he she grabs his garment and he flees out of the house notice that joseph finally flees from temptation that moment has come that opportunity has come she is pushing for this opportunity and he flees from temptation joseph doesn't sit here and consider his options he knows what he is to do in this situation and he runs out the door notice this Um, Joseph is running out the door and leaves his garment behind. We do not know how clothed Joseph was in running from Potiphar's house. Chances are it was not social standards of clothing. And so you have Joseph running away, but notice in this text, he's running away and he doesn't care what people will think. You think about like events that happen in a small community. That moment that a half-dressed guy ran out of Potiphar's house would be one of those moments that would go down in history as the day that something totally different and totally weird happened. And Joseph would be the one that would be pegged with that. But to him, that didn't matter. 
because he knew that God had called him to run and that even though he was going to look crazy to people around him and this is going to be a moment that would go down in the history of this town that he didn't care because he was going to follow God no matter what that cost was. So we see Joseph who is challenged three different ways and stands up to that challenge and finally runs. Which leads to the story continuing in verse 13. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, she fled, he fled out of the house. She called the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew slave to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, This Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me and laughed at me. But as soon as I lift up my voice he, he, and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way that your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Scene number three, Joseph is falsely accused. Joseph is falsely accused. Potiphar's wife is upset. Her plan that she'd been working on for days fell apart, and she wants to get back at Joseph. So what better way to not to get back at Joseph than to fabricate a story? I mean, they were the only two there. She's got his cloak and his clothing, and she can come up with a story of her own. And so she tells the story to her husband. And one thing I want you to catch here is look at the insights to this relationship between Potiphar and his wife in verse 17. This Hebrew servant who you have brought came among us, came into me to laugh at me. Further down in verse 19, this is the way your servant treated me. You see like this judgmental manner that Potiphar's wife is even approaching Potiphar. It's you. It's your fault. You brought this guy in here. He's your servant. You're letting him do these things. And so she's presenting herself as a victim. She's presenting herself as the person who is almost raped by the man that her husband brought there. She was the victim. Joseph was the source of evil. And Potiphar was the husband that just sat back and let it happen. You see the tension here. And it goes on to anger Potiphar and to frustrate Potiphar to the point that he does something about it in verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Potiphar sends Joseph to prison, which seems like a bad deal to us. But the reality in the culture and in the context, if this had happened in a normal situation, he wouldn't be going to prison, he would be going to death. So we see God in his grace working this out that Joseph's story does not end here. He doesn't end that he's falsely accused even though he took a stand for what he believes. The story does not end there. And so what we see in this is maybe Potiphar had some doubts about his wife's story. If she was this forward with Joseph, maybe this wasn't the first time a situation like this had happened. But what we see in prison is a picture yet again of God's grace. The God's grace, God leads us 
into the story he has for us, even though sometimes that story doesn't look like what we would want. Which leads to verse 21 in scene 4. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Scene number four, God remained with Joseph and caused him to rise again into a position of influence. God remained with Joseph and caused him to rise again to the position of influence. Notice the scenes have changed. We went from Potiphar's house as a slave slash servant who was brought up to be a leader. Now at the end of the chapter, we see him as a prisoner in the prison who's also blessed by God and moved up to a position to be the leader. And in verse 21 and verse 22, we see the phrase again that holds this chapter together. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him from the beginning of the text to the end of the text. We have a God who's faithful to Joseph. And we have a God who's faithful to us. And we see God who's in the business of restoring his people and restoring them to a position of influence and restoring them to a position of blessing as they follow him in the times of trials and the times of temptations. So what does this have to do with our lives? I think when we look at the Old Testament, this is one of the clearest pictures we see of temptation and how to deal with temptation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a youth pastor moment where we're going to take a break from this sermon and we're going to watch a video clip that is going to connect what we saw in this text to real life and then we'll talk about how it impacts our lives. And so um, this, before we watch this video, First uh, Peter 5.8 gives this description of the devil that connects us here. Be sober-minded and be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. With this analogy of Satan being a devil, we're going to change our predator to a bear. And if you would draw your attention to the screen. Walkway. Mark Cono yeah, in uh, Sky Operate. 5. Uh, well, this, this is very interesting. <laughs> Apparently the bear has decided yeah, to right, you know, move around. All the garbage cans are out too. Mm, yeah, just something. a couple of minutes ago, the bear left the clearing in the backyard there and he made his way over to the driveway over on Mayfield. He came down that driveway down Mayfield and now he's on Briggs and now it looks like he's uh, turning into another driveway here. We're going to kind of maneuver around and see if we can get another shot of him. Um, but uh, there's yeah, he a person walking oh, right oh, there. Oh, oh, okay, there. Someone, uh, resident there. <laughs> he yeah. just saw the bear. Oh. <laughs> All right. So the moral of this video is don't text and walk. No, I'm just kidding. And so when we, when we think about this video, we think about this moment. This guy, I don't know who he's texting. He may be texting his girlfriend or whatever, and he's in an important conversation. Or he could be on Facebook reading the latest article. Or he could be like sometimes we do when we pull out our phone and we realize that our best friends are at Disney World when we're stuck walking on this sidewalk. Long story short, he's gone to another world. I don't know 
know about you. I do this sometimes. Liz can equate to this at points. Um, do you have people that sometimes in your life that get on their phone and it's like they move to Mars? And all of a sudden, they're so focused on that. It's like, wake up and come back to this planet. He walks along. He sees the bear, which is something he didn't expect. I don't know about you, and I can be kind of clumsy, so sometimes if I was walking on the sidewalk, one of the things in my head would be, is this sidewalk flat or am I going to fall and bust my face? But one thing you're never going to think of is, is there going to be a bear on this sidewalk in front of me? I need to watch out for bears. And so what we see in this is we see four different things about temptation that we see in this video that we also see in this text. First, temptation comes when we least expect it. Temptation comes when we least expect it. Joseph is in a point of life where God is blessing him. And things are getting better, yet in this time of success and blessing, temptation comes. The guy in the video is in another world. He didn't expect to meet a bear that day. Temptation comes when we least expect it. Number two, responding to temptation requires recognizing the destruction caused by sin. Responding to temptation requires recognizing the destruction caused by sin. Joseph stood firm against temptation because he realized the depth of brokenness that it would cause. To Potiphar and his wife and their relationship, and most importantly, their relationship with God. Using the example of the bear again. We have a tendency to view temptation like this. Temptation is a nice, soft, fluffy bear. It doesn't have any teeth. It's not going to do anything to harm us. I don't know um, who would buy a bear this size for your child. I think you'd probably have to move in a new house or get like a helicopter to take it home. But the fact is we look at temptation and we see temptation as something that is harmless. It looks enticing and fun. Look at that little girl. She's having the time of her life. And so it won't really hurt anyone. But the reality is temptation is more like this image right here of a roaring bear. The reality is that sin causes great harm and destruction. And the destruction and harmlessness of sin is what sent Jesus to the cross to die in our place. If we want to see the destruction of sin, we look no further than the cross. Responding to sin and temptation requires recognizing the destruction that sin causes. Third, the response to temptation is to flee no matter the cost. The response to temptation is to flee no matter the cost. Joseph was the crazy guy that ran out of Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's house questionably dressed. This guy in the video is a guy who probably had no idea that there was a news camera following him. Probably had no idea that people on YouTube would laugh at him. And that this morning, as a nice, caring congregation at Meadowbrook, we would laugh at him too. But the reality is he had to get out of there. And it didn't matter what it cost. It didn't matter how dumb he looked. It didn't matter what the cost was going to be. He was going to flee. In our lives, are we fleeing temptation no matter what the cost? And last, God is faithful to those who faithfully follow him. God is faithful to those who faithfully follow him. God continued to bless Joseph and to write the story of his own life, which Pastor Chris will pick up next week. God was faithful to sustain and elevate Joseph to places where he would lead for God's glory. Some things to think about today. First, 
What is the temptation in your life? Chances are it's not a bear. Is it money? Is it fame? Is it popularity? Is it sexual compromise? What is the temptation in your life? Two, have you counted the cost of succumbing to that temptation? If you count the cost that it would be to your family, to your relationship with God, to your relationships with other people, if you count the cost it would be to your reputation, to your career, to your standard of living, if you calculate the cost. And last, are you surrendering each day to faithfully follow Jesus? Because the reality is temptation is coming. And are you ready? You spending each day prepared Going to God and saying, God, I want to give you my life today and I want you to lead me and guide me and you want you to guard my heart. And when things come that look harmless, when things come that look like they wouldn't hurt us or cause issues that I'm tempted to run to, God, show me that you're greater than that. Show me that you're the one I run to. You're the one that I run to for hope. You're the one that I run to for life. You're the one that I run to for deliverance. You're the one who sustains me. And he guides me as I seek to follow you. Let's pray. God, today, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the reminder that when times of temptation and times of struggle come, God, that we are called to stand on the truth of what we know. And we're called to run. Run from that and run to you. This morning, if there... Any people in this room, God, who have not placed their hope and their faith in you, God, I pray that you'd open their eyes to the gospel today and they would run to you for the first time. And for some of us in this room who have found ourselves running from God and not to God, running to things that we think are not harmful but truly are, God, today I pray that they would run back to you again. God, because in you is hope, in you is life, in you is grace. You're a God who takes us and who picks us up when we fall, who cleans us off, who stands us back up again and leads us as we seek to follow you. In this time of response, if you have never come to a place where you've asked Jesus into your life, I would encourage you to come and I would love to share with you how you can have new hope in Christ. Or maybe today you realize that you don't have a church home. You don't have a family of believers around you to help you fight the fight. Today, in this moment, if you want to join this church, please come and join. We would love to have you and love to welcome you. God, move in this time by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.